0: Welcome to What She Said, I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, it's the first show of 2024. So far, it seems we're off to a steady start, as of this recording anyway, so no major mishaps yet. So let's all take it slow and steady as we ease ourselves into the new year. January is Alzheimer Awareness Month in Canada, and today's show offers two distinct perspectives on Alzheimer's with some delightful content in between. Here's what's coming up. We open today's show with a crucial conversation about a form of dementia that's often overlooked, young onset dementia. Dr. Saskia Sivananthan, a leading figure in dementia research, joins me to shed light on this specific condition. Her work is pivotal in understanding how dementia can affect individuals at a younger age, challenging common perceptions about this disease. We'll explore the latest research, delve into the unique challenges faced by those with young-onset dementia, and discuss strategies for risk reduction and management. Dr. Sivananthan's expertise offers invaluable insights into this lesser-known aspect of dementia, providing hope and guidance for those affected and their families. Anne Brody is here with her first entertainment roundup of 2024. We chat about the emotionally intense All of Us Strangers, the true story of Lo, not to be confused with J-Lo, in Man on the Run and the heartwarming return of Son of a Critch. As we step into the new year, it's the perfect time to focus on self-care. Dr. Dasha Leneva ND, in partnership with New Roots Herbal, joins me to explore the true meaning of self-care, practical strategies for integrating it into our daily routines, and the role of nutrition and supplements in supporting our well-being. Next, we take a look at a unique and vital role in the entertainment industry, on-set therapy. Nadia George, an on-set therapist, plays an essential role in supporting the mental well-being of cast and crew working with heavy or traumatic script material. We'll learn more together about this innovative profession and its growing importance. In our next Smile Spectrum segment with Dr. Mandeep Johal, we're talking about New Year's resolutions for dental health, and we're going far beyond brushing and flossing to explore how dental health ties into our overall well-being, cosmetic dentistry options, and even the impact of dental health on posture and gym routines. Finally, to wrap up today's show, I'm thrilled to introduce Michelle Wang, author of Oma's Bag. This touching book addresses Alzheimer's in a way that's accessible to both children and adults. It's a story of love, memory, and the bond between generations that I found personally incredibly moving, and I'm sure you will too. So whether you're looking for insights into health, entertainment, self-care, unique professions, dental health, or heartwarming stories, today's show has something for everyone. January is Alzheimer Awareness Month in Canada, a time to bring attention to a condition that affects so many lives. Recently, I was taken aback when I learned that a woman I went to elementary school with was diagnosed with early onset dementia. It's a stark reminder that dementia doesn't just affect the elderly. To help us understand more about this condition, we're joined by Dr. Saskia Sivananthan, a leading expert in dementia research. Today we'll delve into the complexities of early onset dementia, its impact, and the latest advancements in research and care. Welcome back, Dr. Sivananthan. Thank you for having me. So for many of us, dementia is associated with older age. Can you explain what early onset dementia
1: is and what age it typically begins to manifest? hmm Absolutely. So Early onset dementia is actually the term that used to be used when we didn't understand fully how dementia progresses. Um, The terms now change to young onset dementia. Uh, And I'll tell you why. It's because we now understand that with dementia, there are sort of three stages. There's the early stage, the moderate stage, and then the later stage. And to differentiate from what is dementia that normally happens in older adults, we now call it young-onset dementia for people who develop dementia before the age of 65. Um, and with young-onset dementia, uh, there's between 2 to 8% of Canadians currently living with young-onset. That's about 28,000 Canadians. But I would say that that's a pretty conservative estimate, mainly because we don't know very much about these Canadians. We know Um, then they're not counted. For example, if you go to, um, the government of Canada's website and look up dementia, you'll see a definition for young onset dementia, but no numbers, uh, because we don't, uh, we don't count these Canadians. We don't understand, uh, how they're managing in the health system. And, uh, generally, you're right. People think of dementia as something that happens when you're over the age of 65. Uh, but young onset dementia, also can present very differently. So it's an umbrella term again that's used for anyone who develops dementia under the age of 65 but you can you can develop there are people who do develop it in their 30s, 40s, 50s and um, the symptoms are quite different. Uh, so I just want to touch on the umbrella term piece because I've say this a lot. It's it, dementia is like saying cancer. they're a collection of many different diseases under that umbrella. Uh, and young onset is no different. Uh, With young onset dementia, there are more specific types that do present differently from people who develop um, dementia later. So frontal temporal dementia is a type of dementia that you tend to get younger, sort of more in your 50s versus maybe 65 and older. Uh, And the the key takeaway is, is that the symptom that presents first is not always memory loss. Uh, what young onset dementia? The symptoms can be things like changes in vision, imbalance. Um, you know, the uh, inability to maybe uh, do f- tasks that been familiar in the past. Uh, those are different from what you'd normally look for when someone has dementia. Mm-hmm. And so, what that means is in the healthcare system. Family doctors are usually not looking for this. Uh, It takes much longer to diagnose young onset dementia. So can you discuss then the
0: impact of of er, or sorry, young onset dementia, let me get that right now, on a person's life, particularly considering they may be in the midst of their career or raising a family?
1: Uh, I mean, this has to really throw a a curveball to people. Huge, huge. Uh, And, you know, again, back to the point that we don't know enough about how to support uh, people living with young onset dementia, because most of the support services uh, available are geared for older adults. But you're absolutely right, Candace. So you'll when people do develop or are diagnosed finally with young onset dementia, first of all, there's a delay. Sometimes it takes up to four and a half years before they're diagnosed from the onset of symptoms, which is a huge issue because the earlier you can get diagnosed, the more likely you are to be able to set up the systems and supports you need for yourself. Uh, if you're waiting four and a half years to get this, imagine you're still working. You know, you've got financial commitments and responsibilities. Often people with young onset have younger children that they're caring for as well and might have older adults in their lives that they're also caring for. Um, so it's, it's a very, very different need. Uh, in fact, it's so different uh, that there is a whole organization that's been set up in Calgary called UQuest. Uh, and it's designed specifically for people who are living with young onset dementia, just because their needs are very different from the kinds of services that are offered for older adults. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I was going to say,
0: are there are there specific risk factors or
1: causes that are associated with young onset dementia? Uh, so there's definitely a genetic component um, partially associated with young onset dementia, but let me differentiate if you develop young onset dementia, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the genes that could pass on dementia. However, if you have a genetic component, you're more likely to develop dementia younger. I hope that makes sense. Uh, And uh, when you look at it, there are a couple of genes that are involved with developing dementia, and that tends to be uh, then Um, That you develop the dementia younger or before the age of 65, sometimes as early as your 30s. Um, But no, for the most part, there's very little understood about how dementia and young onset dementia may be different in terms of its risk factors from uh, people developing dementia over the age of 65. Another really interesting point is does this have a, a difference in terms of men versus women? When we know that dementia impacts women generally more than men. Um, And when I looked at the literature more recently, there's no conclusive evidence. There's Mm -hmm. trends that indicate that women are more likely to develop young onset dementia than men. And that's interesting because it also means that there are certain risk factors and and probably biological factors related to being female that um, increase your risk versus uh, being male. Uh, but again, not very much understood about the disease at all.
0: And and going back to sort of that umbrella term then, you know, as you compared it to, say, cancer, where, you know, certain types of cancer are highly treatable. there We have great, uh, you know, treatments for it. Is Does that apply here in any way? Is there hope, more hope, I, I guess, maybe for young onset dementia?
1: Well, I mean, young onset dementia does progress um, In very much a similar way to if you develop dementia later on in life. Uh, With some kinds of dementias, especially young onset, it can be fairly aggressive. And so people can progress within two to three years, which is very rapid. Uh, But there are those who live well with dementia for up to 20 years. In fact, one of my close friends, Roger Marple, uh, developed dementia when he was 58. So young onset dementia, lived well with it. But then did develop lung cancer later on, and he passed away um, last year, actually. And so, uh, you know, I think there are ways to be able to live well with it, but the problem is, is that the supports aren't really there. And I don't know if you've been following the news, but there, uh, Lisa Rate, um, a former MPP, who whose husband has young onset dementia, and you really hear about the struggles she has because the supports aren't geared for him. Even the kinds of living arrangements uh, that are available uh, and uh, having someone come into the home to care for him uh, were different and just didn't meet her needs and his needs.
0: So what is available then in terms of resources and help for people dealing or struggling with this right now?
1: Well, I think the first is, is that even though you might develop young onset dementia, it doesn't mean that you can't access the services that are available regardless whether you're old or adult or not. But the other is is that there are um, caregiving benefits uh, that you can access. And again, with a lot of the therapeutics that are starting to come to the market, uh, the most important aspect of it is, is that getting a diagnosis early is important. Because the earlier in your disease that you're able to get the diagnosis, the more likely those therapies could be effective. Uh, and then just setting up that system for yourself, talking to your uh, employer and helping them understand what you're going through, getting those supports in place. And again, you're protected under employ- employment rights around this. Uh, so these are the sorts of things right now that you could access um, in terms of supports and therapies. All
0: right, Saskia, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, We did an an interview earlier in December. I encourage people to go to the podcast and listen to that one as well. Uh, But this is very informative and very helpful. So thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: CareToKnow.ca is a free resource where Canadians receive the latest health information, updates on new and existing treatments, and advice from Canadian doctors via email. After enrolling at CareToKnow.ca, you'll receive accurate and reliable information from trusted Canadian medical experts delivered directly to your inbox. Members can also access the website for information on a variety of health-related topics. Through resources like vodcasts, podcasts, and live webinars, Canadian experts discuss how to manage a number of medical conditions and provide the latest knowledge and advice to help you make informed decisions about your family's health with your own healthcare care provider to sign up and start learning more about the health matters that impact you most enroll in caretoknow.ca today
2: have you ever thought i'd love to have a podcast just like this one Well, I can help. My name is Matt Cundell and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.
0: It's a new year and Anne is in with a whole lot of new shows and entertainment for us. and I can't wait to get into today's lineup. Can we start with all of us strangers? That
3: I was gutted just watching the trailer. It is such an experience. Oh, it is painfully beautiful. <laughs> I don't think I've ever described a film that way but yes so it's uh Andrew Haig's fantasy drama starring Andrew Scott who is a fantastic British actor. So he plays Adam and he's uh he's in a he's a scriptwriter. He lives in London and nothing's going on in his life and he's being very uh, introverted but he meets a man who lives in his building and they they have sex almost immediately. And then it cuts immediately to him walking as an adult down the street where he grew up and into his home and his parents are there looking like they looked when he was little and they look at him as though he's little and he's caught up in that in that scenario and it's very moving for him it's just and the way the film is made it just gets under your skin so much so they had died in a car crash. And I I think th- the idea of this is these fantasies help relieve the trauma for him. But the, And the affair is, I don't think it really blows him away because he's so obsessed with these parents. He goes back time and time again to visit them and to find out and to just, and his longing for them it's just oh heartbreaking it's amazing
0: well i have to tell you i watched the trailer and i we got very choked up <laughs> yeah. a two minute a two minute trailer and then i read i read your review and you ended it with you will need recovery time and i laughed out loud because <laughs> If I was that emotional from a trailer, I can't imagine what a movie would do. Uh, but I am looking forward to this one. Um, Let's talk about Man on the Run. Uh, totally different story altogether, but fascinating. Oh, yeah. There's
3: this guy named Low Tech Joe, who is known as Joe Low, And he is a billionaire from Malaysia. And what a con artist he is. All right. He's... On the run, he's been on the run for years. Nobody knows where he is. Last time he was seen was in the Arctic Circle of all places. So what he did, the Malaysian government, run by this corrupt prime minister who held two terms and he's in jail right now for this, in uh, you know, for this deal he made with uh, Jolo. Um, so the the they opened up a fund based on uh, borrowed money to present as the backup for the country. Well, that never happened. It was all stolen, mostly by this guy. But he carried out these scams all around the world. And he had Hollywood at his beck and call. I mean, he was big friends with uh, DiCaprio, Spears, Kardashian, Bradley Cooper, Robert De Niro, Kanye West. And he even funded the film Wolf of Wall Street, which was about greed. So, the numbers in this thing the num the amount of money I mean it just it's stunning. he talks about one theft alone that was nine hundred and ten billion dollars. I mean is there that much money in the world well you know it it's so abstract to us commoners
0: to talk about this kind of money it you can't wrap your head around it uh but
3: true story, and the guy's still on the run he's still on the run the p m is now in his second jail term and not a single Hollywood star that was quite tied in with him consented to sit down for an interview. P.S., he paid them to spend time with him. Wow. (laughs) Tell you, you can have all the money in the world and still be very lonely, apparently. So there you go.
0: Um, All right, let's talk about um, Son of a Critch and Run the Burbs because...
3: Right, but I want to talk... You've never heard of this. How can that be?
0: I, well, I've never. And here's what I also learned from you prior to starting this interview. I mentioned that I don't have CBC Gem. I thought I'd had to pay for it. You say it's free. So we could just, I had no idea. I'm just, you know, I don't know how the TV works anymore, apparently. <laughs> with the, with the fall of cable. And sort of all of these streaming services, I just automatically assume I have to pay for every single service. So I just.
3: With the government. You're paying for it already with your taxes. Well, perfect.
0: Cause I'm going to download it.
3: I challenge you to go back there and to watch all three seasons of, of, uh, uh, son of a critch because starring Mark critch, it's his memoirs and it's got these brilliant actors in it. Unbelievably, including Malcolm McDowell as grandpa. I saw that and I interviewed them and I asked the boys. If they had seen Clockwork Orange (laughs) and one of them had and the other is not allowed. (laughs) But anyway, you are going to go crazy for Son of a Critch.
0: Well, it looked like a lovely trip down memory lane Uh, watching just the trailer for that third season. So I am absolutely going to do that.
3: And just quickly, uh, tell me about Run the Burbs. Well, you know, they're back for another season, uh, Andrew Fung and uh, Raki Mazzaria. And they're, they're these suburban parents. They don't hate suburbia like everyone seems to. They live sort of a normal life, but it's anything but normal because it's real life. And you know how that goes. So, I mean, they have a, a garage sale and it's fun and, and they get into things with the neighbors. And then somebody sells off her her cookbook, which was her mother's cookbook, and it was precious to her. Things like that happen, just little things. And then they can't find a doctor a family doctor, which is a common situation. There's much to relate to here. And it's so funny. And they are such slackers. Remember the slackers from years ago? And they're (laughs) slash valley people. (laughs) And I think you'll get a big kick out of that too. And that's free on CBC Gem as well. Perfect. Well, I
0: like free. That is that is one of my favorite F words. So I'm going to chase that down this week. And thanks so much. You've got all of these and more on what she said talk.com. And we will see you
3: next week. We'll see you next week.
0: As we step into the new year, it's the perfect time to reflect on our well-being and consider how we can prioritize ourselves in the months ahead. Joining me now is Dr. Dasha Leneva ND, as part of What She Said's continuing partnership with New Roots Herbal. In this conversation, we'll explore what it truly means to prioritize self-care, how to recognize the need for a personal reset, and practical strategies for integrating self-care into our daily routines. We'll also delve into the role of nutrition and supplements in supporting our self-care journey. Welcome to What She Said, Dasha. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. So what does it mean to put yourself first or to prioritize your own well-being?
4: Well, first of all, it's recognizing that prioritizing yourself isn't something that we should view as selfish. We often think of it as a bad word, but it's really not. You know, the bad word here is selfless. If we say we are selfless, we're basically saying that we don't consider ourselves at all. And reframing it in this way kind of makes you feel a little bit different about the word, doesn't it? Right. If we don't at the very least keep our basic health needs like sleep, exercise, and diet dialed in, we are inherently setting ourselves up for a bad time. And on top of that, if we put everyone else above ourselves, and let's be real, women do this a lot, we drain our own mental, emotional, physical cups and leave ourselves with essentially nothing. So that was a roundabout way of saying that putting yourself first means number one, making sure that you have your basic needs met and two, listening to whatever else your body needs. Ignoring our needs is only going to make them fight stronger to be
0: heard. Well, let's talk about those needs because especially now that we're in January, we're past the sort of the hustle and bustle and and massive stress that December brings. So, what are the signs or q- cues we should be looking for that signal that need for a reset?
4: Mhm. So, it's a bit of a hard question because, you know, everyone is different, but some of the signs that you could look out for are anxiety, low mood, stress and especially feelings of overwhelm and difficulty concentrating, fatigue. So these are all clues that you might need a little bit extra support and you know, look, I understand that it's easy to ignore these things and say, "Oh well, maybe I'm just tired. Maybe this is my normal." And yes, if you got a bad night, bad night's sleep the night before, it is normal to be tired, but Being tired all the time, being overwhelmed and anxious all the time really isn't normal. And that goes for all the other signs that I mentioned earlier too.
0: What are some effective self-care practices then for enhancing our mental, emotional, and physical well-being?
4: So as I mentioned earlier, getting the pillars of health dialed in is key. So making sure you're getting adequate sleep, you're eating good and nourishing food. And enough of it. Um, that's a lot of thing, That That's something I see a lot is people don't actually eat enough food, even their their diet is good. And making sure that they're, you're exercising regularly. So in addition to improving how we eat, obtaining regular sleep and being more active. Um, so while this may seem rather obvious, I believe that many people need to actively pursue fun as a way to improve their overall lifestyle and well-being. So fun is vastly overrated. Um, and often results in less emotionality, better self-esteem, and enhanced social connectedness. Other things you you can incorporate as well would be things like meditation. And this can be active meditation, like yoga, or doing breath work. Journaling is wonderful too. Um, Learning something new every day, or doing something that brings you joy.
0: I really, really love that you mentioned bringing fun into your life, because I think we do. We, we chase sleep and we chase meditation. And, uh, you know, we're, we're so diligent and hardcore on chasing our goals this, you know, in the new year and we forget to have fun to just relax and enjoy it. So that's such a great point. And how about, um, integrating nutrition and supplements into our life? Uh, you know, any suggestions there, especially for people who maybe haven't been doing so, uh, maybe as much as they should have?
4: <laughs> yeah, so that's a, great, uh, that's a great question. So what supplements really do is fill any nutritional gaps um, that we may have and support ourselves in certain aspects that we need the most. For example, if we're stressed, we have adaptogens like rhodiola and ashwagandha in our toolkit. If we're anxious, something like lavender is a great option too, super helpful for sleep as well. And lots of research on those supplements. Um, And then there are the supplements that, in my opinion, everyone should talk to their doctor about being on. These are things like omega-3s, which basically help support everything from mood, cardiovascular function, brain health. There's vitamin D, which is super important for immune function, mood, and bone health. And living in Canada, uh, most of the population is chronically vitamin D deficient. So it's really important to get your levels checked. And as I mentioned earlier, filling those nutritional gaps is important. And that's why a high quality multivitamin might be beneficial with lots of B vitamins for energy and metabolic support. But before we do any of that, we need to get diet in order. So we need to ensure that we're eating enough protein, healthy fats and carbohydrates. And I promise you, carbohydrates are not evil. Um, and having the proper nutrition that actually supports our body's function Helps energy, mood, and overall health. And, you know, these changes aren't that hard. They basically just require you to eat real food and enough food.
0: And what strategies or methods do you suggest for maintaining a routine, which I think is what people struggle with the most? Yeah,
4: that's always really tough. But what I say to my patients is first, you got to meet yourself where you're at. You don't expect changes to appear overnight. And the things that actually stick aren't the things that happen super quickly. You can't make changes like that. You know, first of all, you need to figure out what your priorities are and then start making small attainable strides towards them. If you're struggling to kind of figure out what that means and how to do it, I'd recommend reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. He really lays down that framework beautifully. But if you don't want to read his book, the gist of it is figure out what you want, make things easy for yourself, and make those changes, habits that you do every day. Another thing that's really powerful is to set clear times for set care. So you don't all of a sudden feel overwhelmed to fit an exercise or time to meal prep. And if you make time in advance, you'll never have no time to do something. And the last thing is don't forget to be kind to yourself. The goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is to do things that make us feel good. Um, and it's not the end of the world if you slip up. On one of the habits that you're trying to make, the difference is getting back into it the day um, after and learning how to fail without labeling yourself as a failure.
0: Oh, I love it. Perfect. That's great. Thank you, Dasha, so much for joining me today. If people want to connect with you, uh, where can they find you? If you're in British Columbia, you can come see me at the clinic at
4: Yaletown Integrative Clinic. Uh, I do appointments virtually or um, in person, and I'm on Instagram at dr.dashalaneva.
0: All right. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me.
5: Hello, I'm Wendy Mesley. There you are. A lot of people have wondered what happened to you. I could say the same about you, Maureen Holloway. Well, here we are a few years after we left our previous jobs. We've been busy. We have a podcast. I know, you're thinking, who doesn't? But ours is really good. It's called Women of Ill Repute. We don't just talk to women, though. Just the most interesting people you'd ever want to meet. Artists, musicians, comedians, doctors, activists, convicts, writers, sex workers. Drop some names. Jan Arden, Pamela Anderson, Bruce Coburn, Samantha Irby, Louise Penny, Marilyn Dennis, Colin Mochrie. We laugh, we cry, sometimes we argue. Come and find us. Our website is womenofillrepute.com. Or try Apple, Spotify, and all the podcast places. So now you know what happened to us. Women of Ill Repute.
1: Hi,
6: I'm Steve Yurko.
1: And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback.
0: favorite things about hosting What She Said is learning about all the incredibly fascinating and unique jobs there are out there. Today, we're shining a spotlight on a crucial role in the entertainment world, on-set therapy. Joining me is Nadia George, an on-set therapist who plays a vital role in supporting film and television cast and crew as they navigate the emotional challenges of working with heavy or traumatic script material. With only a handful of professionals like her in Canada, Nadia's work is not just innovative, but also essential for maintaining mental well-being in the industry. So let's learn more about this intriguing profession and why mental health support on set is increasingly important. Welcome to What She Said, Nadia. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have this chat. I had never heard of this uh, type of of work before, so can you start by explaining what onset therapy is and how you became involved in this field?
2: Yeah, onset therapy essentially is just making sure that there's some form of certified uh, wellness coach that's on-site that is available to both cast and crew and production team members, um, To be able to talk through scenes or things that have happened on set that may be triggering or shocking, Um, it is something that's very new. The UK, in fact, is doing it very well. But in Canada, uh, we are only just starting to recognize that this is a need. Much like intimacy coordinators, um, it's really about the safety
0: and protection of the well-being of people on set. And what are some of the common uh, challenges or issues that cast and crew face on set? I think one of the bigger things
2: we're starting to notice is that even though, as you know, a cast member, we go through rigorous acting training, most of us, and we think that we are prepared to be able to separate ourselves from the role or the character that we are embracing and coming home and leaving that where it is. The problem that we're finding, um, for some people, and I'll speak for myself, it's also as an actor that your your body when you are taking on these roles, you're really trying to find the truth and living in it. So most acting coaches are the ones I've experienced will say, you know, where has this happened to you before? Have you experienced it? Do you know someone who has? And we know that somatically our bodies don't recognize that it isn't real. And so our bodies will hold on to those things, even though our minds are saying, it's okay, it's just a scene, it's just a movie, which can sometimes take us away from giving um, the best quality performance that we want to. And it can also then have a you know domino effect into our actual daily lives with our spouses and our friends and those kinds of things. For, ca- for crew members, what I found in my experience, uh, especially with being on the show Little Bird doing this role, was a lot of them had sometimes not heard of or seen some of the content that was being played out in those scenes. And for them, knowing that this was real, that historically um, these things had happened to people was really shocking for them. And they're also trying to process feelings of guilt, shame, um, sometimes triggering events that actually might have happened to them that were very similar. And you don't recognize uh, the impact that that can have until it happens to you. So for, for me as an onset therapist, I think the role being able to support and letting people know that there is at least a safe space if they want to go talk to someone uh it alleviates it just a little bit because you know it's there if you need it versus trying to figure it out on your own
0: and obviously this differs from traditional therapy even just the setting is different so does is that does the therapy differ in some way i would say yes and the reason for
2: that um and how i got involved really was that the production team of little bird had reached out to me and had said you know we really would love someone who one has ex- lived experience and kind of the content, which I do coming from, you know, having child welfare experience and also the idea of being an actor. Because one of the main things is you sometimes need to be in the world. And as a therapist, <laughs> we sometimes are like, oh my goodness, that person is crying or I can see they're really upset and we can pull actors out of what they need to be in. So being able to recognize when they're in the moment, when they're in the character and in the scene, versus when the after effects are happening, if they should happen, and also knowing where to be on set, when to be on set. um, When do you approach an actor? Those kinds of things really do make a difference. And it can either cost or save a production company a lot of money.
0: (laughs) You, You mentioned something interesting there. You said, you know, when do you approach an actor? So this isn't always on them. It's oftentimes you approaching them.
2: Yeah, I think it's a shared relationship as you get to know the actors and you start to build rapport, much like you would in a therapy session with, you know, a client or an individual who needs support, is that you start to read the body language, you really get to know them. And just even a simple check in of, hey, I know this is a really hard scene coming up. I just want to let you know I'm here. Okay, great. And and most of the time, I found that they were they were pretty good at saying, nope, you know what, I'm I'm just going to stay in it. I'm good no problem. You back away. Um, And sometimes they do come up to you and say, you know what, that was harder than I thought it was going to be. I really just need someone to hold space for me right now. Okay, no problem. Um, Where I think prior to that, and my own experience having worked in, um, you know, film and documentaries where there has been heavy content, we often don't think about being able to reach out to someone because we're so worried that, you know, a director or someone will see us as being not competent in our work, which I think is really where we need to start changing that narrative. And I think it would be great for production companies and even acting coaches to start recognizing that, listen, you know, I'm not a therapist. I can give you all the skills and tools and help you with your craft. But when it comes to these type of really intense scenes this is not my 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 role or the hat that I should wear. And yes, there are sometimes I mean, if we are looking at people like Robin Williams, Heath Ledger, there's been many actors out there who are amazing at their, but we're still struggling with that mental health because they had to keep face. And I think that that's the biggest thing is really kind of destigmatizing this convert the conversation.
0: You know, we are churning out content at an unprecedented rate with all of these streaming services out there. I mean, it, there is just new content being being pushed out all the time. So, how do you see your role or this particular role evolving?
2: I think one, um, it's about really getting uh, the ca- like getting production teams on board to know that this role even exists and why it's important. And I think secondly, the bigger part is people trying to figure out how do we do it. How do we budget it into um, the, you know, the, I guess the proposal um, and how do we make sure that we're finding the right people to do this work? Um, You know, can it just be somebody who only does narrative therapy and isn't, um, you know, uh, nuanced in somatic therapy? Do we need someone who is trauma informed or do we need someone who is trauma certified, which are two completely different things. And that is a really important piece because anyone can be trauma informed if they've taken an hour trauma workshop. Being certified in working with somatic therapy that is trauma based and through a trauma lens is a very different thing and takes a lot more schooling to get through. Um, and when you have crisis on set, which sometimes can happen, you have a very short period of time for processing somebody through that and getting them back into what they're doing. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's going to take some time, but I'm hoping <laughs> that more people will want these conversations and that it'll catch on. And I really just think, you know, people reaching out to me or to others to find out how we did the work and just, you know, negotiating, collaborating and building something together is a key essential piece.
0: Well, we have about a minute left. And, and you know, if somebody's listening who would like to maybe pursue this and, and, you know, get into this career for themselves, any suggestions on what they should do? Um, I'm going to assume, uh, you know, psychology or would be the first step. Yeah, so, you know, attending a college or a university and then doing that extra
2: work to become trauma, cert- trauma certified as an integrated clinician is really important. Um, but also having a good understanding of the film industry is also really important. Um, you know, I did uh, campaigns for Ronald McDonald House, and they have access to some of the most phenomenal uh, minds in regards to psychology. But uh, it was one of those things that having that acting background was really helpful uh, for the production team.
0: All right. Incredible. I want people to be able to keep up with you. I'm just fascinated with this role. And I think it is going to be something we're going to hear a lot more about in the future. So where can people follow along with you and your story?
2: You can always find me on Instagram at Nadia George official. um, And you can always go to my website, NadiaGeorge.com. All of my social media links are there along with a lot of the information that people might be seeking in how to start, uh, you know, co- connecting with me, or even if they are looking for referrals for something that I don't necessarily do, I'm always happy to do that as well. Um, so they can they can contact me through both those platforms.
0: All right, wonderful. Nadia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. As we step into the new year, it's the perfect time to talk about resolutions, specifically dental health resolutions. Today, we're joined again by Dr. Mandip Johal for our Smile Spectrum segment. And we're not just talking about the usual brushing and flossing, we're diving into how dental health ties into our overall well-being, exploring cosmetic dentistry options, and even how our dental health can impact our posture and gym routines. Let's kickstart the new year with a dazzling dental routine. Welcome, Dr. Jo Hall. Happy New Year, Candice, and thank you for having me again. So as we've made our New Year's resolutions, why is it important to include dental health and how does it connect to our overall well-being?
7: Well, one thing is just coming off from the holidays, we've pretty much lost our dental routine for most of us. Um, so just kind of getting back onto that, getting our gums and our teeth back into shape. But really, it's just the basic stuff, right? But I really do want to dive into the other stuff that you had touched, because that's something that we don't really talk about. But just get back into it, make sure dental appointments are made so we can maintain better overall health.
0: Well, let's get into the big one, because I think a lot of people listening, a lot of women specifically, uh, cosmetic dentistry is often sought for a fresh start. So can you discuss some traditional options and perhaps some unique approaches that people might not be aware of?
7: Yeah, well, like from a holistic, more natural point, I always some- like something that's a little bit more non-invasive first. So I always say start with a dental cleaning um, or start with even something if you're, if you don't like your teeth are, you know, maybe misaligned, you have a little bit of crowding, start with even clear liners because they're not invasive. It's very simple and easy to do. Even teeth whitening is a great option, but there's also a very, no- there's another option that's very minimally invasive, which is like minimal prep veneers. That means that your dentist will just maybe remove just a little bit of enamel and then be able to put these nice little thin porcelain caps over them to give you like that nice straight teeth or different change of color that you may be looking for. So it's not an option for everybody, but I would always definitely try to see if we can do that. Um, Another thing that we do for patients that's minimally invasive is we do what's called a composite veneers, which is just the regular white filling that you use. And we can just build up your teeth, um, different colors and shapes, which is something so simple and very non-invasive. And then you have the other ones where people want like full veneers where they might have to really prep the teeth or full crowns you might have heard of where they really shave down the teeth. And I don't really advise unless it's really needed. Um, I would try everything else before you go to something that um, really shaves down your teeth, right? You can't get that back. Yeah. And so for people who've maybe lost some enamel, a veneer would be very helpful. Yeah. Like we're talking about just the front teeth for sure. Like we could do that for the front teeth.
0: Okay. So many of us who start the gym, obviously, uh, we're, many of us hit the gym as part mm-hmm. of our new year's resolutions. So how does our dental health, uh, particularly when it comes to our posture, y- you often bring things that I think are not related, but I'm sure you're going to explain. So how is this all related with gym injuries?
7: I know. I know. So, okay. So it's like New Year and everybody's put on a little bit extra weight. And the first thing we'll do is like, we well, will just jump right and go straight to the gym to start losing that few extra pounds you want to lose but what ends up happening is we have malocclusion meaning our bite is in the right place or our jaw isn't in the right place and you go lift start lifting the heavy weight or you start running for long periods of time you start putting a lot of strain on your neck and your back and next thing you know you've pulled your back or you pulled your knee or you pulled something in your shoulder but having proper posture which an airway or functional a dentist can help you with will help alleviate that like I have so many testimonials now and patients that attest to it that they can actually lift heavier weights with a positional appliance that I can give them. And they're like, how is this possible? I'm like, it is. Your body has more strength when it's in the correct posture Um, as opposed to having like if you had like a jaw that's further back or your teeth are kind of like on a slant like this, that's called malocclusion. That puts a lot of pressure on jaw joint and it also causes what's called forward head posture. Right, so forward head posture, you're going to be prone to some type of injury for sure. So yeah, talk to your functional dentist about what they can do to help you. A simple little appliance can change you so, uh, change it so much, um, and prevent those injuries.
0: And, and you've mentioned nasal breathing as a unique approach in cosmetic dentistry for mm. anti-aging, which I am particularly interested
7: in. So fill me in, sister. <laughs> We all want to slow how we age, right? So the more mouth breathing we do, and they've done numerous studies, okay? They've done numerous studies where they've literally taken monkeys and they blocked their nasal passages. And just in a short span, they've seen huge changes in their faces. So think about us as humans, uh, especially adults. We see it in children all the time. But even for grown adults, it's going to change the way our face is aging because mouth breathing literally changes our, our actual physical structure. So you can get fillers and Botox, you know, to kind of do the padding. But what I'm trying to do is help you change and, or even maintain the structure that you already have, like the high cheekbones or the upper lip support. So you don't need, people are getting like lip lifts done and fillers in their cheeks. But if you have the bony structure underneath to support it, you might not need it as frequently, or you may not need it as early as you think you would. So, yeah, I'm a big component of nasal breathing, starting with babies to children. Um, it literally changes your face. It's changed my face, the way my tongue works. Um, my swallows completely change. Even helping with double chins. That's a big thing for a lot of women. They struggle with the turkey neck and the double chin. But I do have lots of stuff on my Instagram. And I have uh, a reel that shows my changes from where my jaw used to be further back 13 years ago. And then just recently, I did my treatment to bring this jaw forward and help eliminate the double chin. I didn't really have a double chin 13 years ago, but you could start seeing that it would have led to that because the the chin and the jaw were so further back, like we're pretty retreated further back. And by bringing the lower jaw forward and toning the base, getting the tongue on the roof of the mouth and nasal breathing has completely changed my face.
0: Well, me and my double chins, thank you for this information. (laughs) But I'm grateful to know that there, there is hope out there for me, uh, particularly as I've been aging. I,
7: I, I keep thinking, where is this chin coming from? <laughs> I wish it would just leave me alone. It's all posture and get that tongue on the roof of the mouth. And you know what? The other thing is really going to help you with nasal breathing and tongue posture is going to be sleep. So the older we're getting, right? Now, getting off the holidays from the lack of sleep and all the alcohol, when we hit that certain age, our body doesn't rebound or lose weight the way it used to in its early 30s or 20s. Getting that sleep, optimizing that nasal breathing is going to help you shed that weight so much quicker right? So I I mean, I hope this was helpful because it's helped and changed my life and many of my patients' lives. Absolutely. Amazing, solid information as usual. Uh, Where can
0: people keep up with you and connect with you?
7: Um, My Instagram is actually great. It's wealth of information. It's Dr. Mandeep Johal. And yeah, you guys can DM me, but there's there's just so much information on there uh, about nasal breathing, sleep, hormones, vitamin D3. This all plays a role in. So Lots of good stuff to help you start the new year, right? Incredible. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: In today's final interview, I'm happy to introduce a truly special guest, Michelle Wang, author of the heartwarming book, Oma's Bag. This beautifully crafted story, which brought tears to my eyes immediately, tenderly addresses the sensitive subject of Alzheimer's in a way that resonates with both children and adults. It's a tale of love, memory, and the unbreakable bond between generations. So let's dive into this poignant narrative and learn more about the inspiration behind it. Welcome to What She Said, Michelle.
8: Good morning. Thank you for having me. What inspired you to write
0: Oma's Bag, and how did you approach such a complex topic for such a young
8: audience? Inspiration behind the book is my actual life. The characters in the story are my family. And I started this project as just a present to my family because it was an experience that we were going through. Um, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia a few years ago. And they normally live in Vancouver and they often come and visit. And our visits are always lots of fun. They bring lots of presents. She cooks for us. And it's uh, the kids love having her around. Uh, the last Few visits, we started noticing changes in her behavior, and the very last visit that happened right before I wrote this book was the most significant. Where we were noticing that she was forgetting things, she was repeating uh, answers to questions that she asked over and over again. She loved to cook for my kids, as I said, and her cooking started tasting different because we noticed that she was her fishball soup was having. Many many portions of salt being added as she was cooking. Uh, We were finding things disappearing around the house and finding them in her bag. So we were noticing that she was a little bit different from what we had known her to be in the past. And so, for me, I watched my family adapt to this very very smoothly. Though it was as if she was the same person, but just acting a little differently. And we would find delight in looking in her bag going, Oh my God. And we called her Matt. So why, why is this in your bag? And we were laughing and it was not a, it was not a a sad or accusatory, but it was a fun moment for us. Uh, The more poignant part of it was one morning, his dad and I were having breakfast with her and she was going around asking the same questions, asking us, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he just looked at me and said, I feel like she's slipping away. And at the time, I really had no answer for him because I felt the same way. But in my mind, I was thinking, well, she is not the same person that we've known, but she's still there. She's different, but all her memories, and I think that's a lot of the things that she has in her bag, they all had stories to them. And she's still there. She's collecting them. and, And we have those And eventually, you know, she will always be in our hearts. So that was sort of my thought process as I was going through uh, my answer to him that I'm sure it was a terrible answer that I blurted out to him at the moment. And I had been writing books in the past and it just seemed to me like it was such a nice story that could be shared. And I thought just with my family and then when it was finally written, it seemed like this is probably something that a lot of other families may be going through and could have some value too.
0: Absolutely. And can you share some insights into sort of the creative process behind the illustrations, which are just beautiful in the book?
8: I was so lucky to have found my illustrator Sam Nunez. I have uh, some self-published books that had a wonderful illustrator as well who lived in Ukraine. And I was hoping for this book to find someone who was more local. And it was actually my sister's, uh, I guess, my nephew's classmate who had just uh, graduated from Sheridan College and was not working in his field. And I just sort of reached out to him and said, would you be interested in trying to illustrate children's books? And he's like, I've always wanted to do that. So we met up in the Peterborough Library and I showed him my manuscript and I said, these are some of my ideas here's a picture of my family, this is for my family, so do you think you could, and he was sketching it out, and they, the, I could not ask for someone who captured the essence of my family better, both physically and emotionally, and he had some ideas of how he thought, and I had some ideas of how I thought pages would look, and it just came together seamlessly, we had lots of back and forth, we were like how about what if you added this or he said how about if we added this and it was just what you see in front of you is just an, an amazing project that he I could have done without him so
0: well i have to say i i was moved to tears reading it it is such a beautiful book and i am not dealing with alzheimer's in my life in any way shape or form so i can't imagine what an impactful tool this would be for families who are for helping them you know with understanding and empathy and connection as it relates to Alzheimer's. So I want them to be able to find you and find the book. Where could they do that?
8: Well, my publisher is Arsenal Pulp Press. They have it on pre-order for right now on their site. I believe they've put it on Amazon as well. For me personally, I have a website, It itmustbebooks.com and Instagram would be itmustbebooks and Facebook is mustbebooks.
0: I'm going to put all the links for this uh, on the website when this goes live on podcast so people can find the book and connect with you. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today.
8: Thank you so much.
0: That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram and X for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok and threads at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson wherever you listen to podcasts to catch past episodes and extended interviews. I'll be back next week with more What She Said.
6: What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect.